Thank you, Bryn. Well, I'm Heather, as you heard, and um, yeah, I'm just so glad that you guys are here today. Um, I think it's so lovely to be able to come after a busy week and just to be able to sit and be quiet for a little while with Jesus. Um, a friend of mine got me thinking about God and parties this week, and I was just thinking about how, how God really is a God who delights in us, and He invites us to come and experience fullness of life in Him. So we are on week five of looking into the life of Jacob. Now, Jacob's father was Isaac, his grandpa was Abraham, and Jacob had a bunch of children. Probably the one we're most familiar with is Joseph and his bright and special coat. But it's this man, Jacob, that we've been looking at and that we're going to be looking at today. He was an interesting man, but far from perfect. And we've seen so much of, of ourselves in his life over these last few weeks. We've seen, yeah, we've recognized ourselves in some of his flaws and imperfections and the way he reacts and responds to things and some of the decisions he makes. And there are two major traits that we keep seeing in his life as his story unfolds. And the one is that he had a really deceptive streak. Um, he, we see Jacob lying and stealing um, and cheating. But then there's this other trait that also keeps coming up, and it's that he has a real hunger for spiritual things. It's like he really wants to experience this God that his father and his grandfather spoke about. He wants to know this God for himself. And so today, we are wrapping up our God with us series, and we are going to be looking at the God who has been with us, the God who is with us, and the God who will be with us. God actively involved in our pasts, actively involved in our right now lives, and the God who will be with us in every day and week and year to come. Guys, it should leave us quite amazed and in awe that the God who created every mountain, who made every single drop of water, chooses to come and live and walk and drive and be with us in our ordinary lives. All right, for all the people here who know me well, they will all be able to tell you that I have a shocking sense of direction. I actually don't have a sense of direction. Mine is completely missing. I will be in a shopping center, and not one that's new to me, and I'll be heading in one direction, and I'll turn into a shop, and when I come out, and I want to carry on in the same way I was going, I will accidentally turn back on myself, and this is the scary bit. I don't even realize it until I see the shops moving in a different direction to the one I think I'm going in. Per Craig, before GPS, it was a full-time job keeping me found. And I have some really funny stories that I can tell you of me heading out in one direction and landing up in some completely foreign place and pretty much needing rescuing from there. I don't know about you, 
but I love a good story. And there's some people who just have great stories. You know when you invite somebody around for dinner and they have got stories that keep you hanging on every word. You are like on the edge of your seat. They've got stories that have you rolling around. You're laughing so hard. They've got stories that have you thinking about life. They linger with you for weeks afterwards because they've really made you think about how precious life is. Jacob was one of those guys. He had stories. There's a whole lot of stuff that had happened in his life. He had traveled, like proper explorer-type traveling, to places no one else he knew had been to before. He'd had adventures. Some of them were great, and some of them were horrible. He had a difficult streak that got him into trouble more than once. But one thing we see over and over again in Jacob's life is that God was there. Even when Jacob didn't realize it, God was there. God directed him. He rescued him. God appeared to him in a dream. He wrestled with him. Now the only question is, will God stick with him? Our reading for today is from Genesis 35, and you're welcome to read along in your Bibles, or it'll be up on the screen behind us. God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar and called the place Al-Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. After Jacob returned from Padam Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him and said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. And so he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. And then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him, and we see that Jacob names the place Bethel. Sure. Friends, God has been with you. This passage transports us back in time nearly 4,000 years to a semi-nomadic 
Bronze Age era where we meet a man called Jacob. And he is a feisty guy. Jacob forschneid his brother out of his inheritance and later on out of the blessing from his father through this elaborate scheme that he came up with his mom and his mom helped him to execute it. Then his twin brother Esau, who is the person he forschneid, gets understandably angry and Jacob decides he needs to flee. He's worried that his life is in danger and so he flees to a place called Haran. And when he gets there, Jacob has nothing. When he leaves, 20 years later, Jacob will have built a life for himself. He has two wives, he has a whole bunch of children, and he is a wealthy man. And he decides it is time to head back to Canaan. And during this time, we see how he wrestles with God. He has this incredible close encounter with the living God. And then he reconciles miraculously with his brother Esau. And that's more or less where we are today in the story of Jacob. So Jacob and his family are in a place called Shechem. And today's passage opens with God speaking to Jacob and telling him to go to this place called Bethel. Jacob's been there before. He's encountered God there before. And he says, go back to Bethel, and I want you to settle there. And Jacob tells his whole household, and I love how Scripture says, and everyone who is with him, come, guys, we're going. You need to get yourselves ready, because we are going to go and worship God. And I'm going to build an altar there to the God who has been with me wherever I have gone. This is incredibly powerful. Jacob recognizes that God has been with him in everything. And it is so beautiful. You know, we can almost hear the gratitude leaking out through these words. But I can't help wonder if there's more than just gratitude there. You see, if God has been with him wherever he has been, it means that God knows. God knows it all. And there are some terrible things that have just happened in Shechem. Um, if you don't know the story of Dinah and the prince of Shechem, you can go and read it. It's in um, Genesis uh, chapter something, 34, <laughs> just before this one. And some terrible things have happened in Shechem. And when Jacob says, God has been with me wherever I have been, I can't help but wonder if he's saying, God knows what my family has done. He knows what's happened to our family. He knows what's been done to us. He knows everything that I have done since I was a young boy. He was there. And I can't help but wonder if there's gratitude and grief mingled together as he realizes God wasn't watching from a distance. He was right there in it all. And guys, that is true for you and me today as well. God isn't just aware of the facts of your past. He was there. He wasn't watching from a distance. Maybe you have regrets about your past. Maybe there are whole seasons where you look back and you don't know where God was. You can't see him there. Maybe you didn't know God yet, and you look back and you think, man, the decisions I made, my life could have looked so different. 
And if any of that is you, that is okay. Because today, you can say with Jacob, God has been with me wherever I've gone. I love David. David gets this. He writes a lot of the Psalms. And um, he realizes that God has been actively involved in his life long before he knew that he could have a relationship with the living God. This is what he writes in Psalm 139 from verse 15. He says, None of my bones was hidden from you when you made me inside my mother's body. That place was as dark as the deepest parts of the earth. It's like David wants us to know God was there. It was dark there where you were, where I was being formed. When you were putting me together there, your eyes saw my body even before it was formed. You planned how many days I would live. You wrote, them, you wrote down the number of them in your book before I had lived through even one of them. There is a grace of God that goes ahead of the created world and that goes ahead of us. God has been with you in your past. And God is with you now. So maybe you're here today and it's easy for you to see how God has been actively involved in your past, in your story. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, I cannot see it. I want to encourage you, if that's you, to go and spend some time today or during this week with God and ask him. Ask him to show you how he has been with you in your past. Ask him to show you how he has been with you in your story. It's funny, I think sometimes it's easy, easier for us to believe that God has been with us in our past or to look ahead and to hope that God will be with us in our future than it is for us to live in the reality that God is with us right now. I don't know what happened in Jacob's past, I don't know, maybe if it was what happened at Shechem that could have made Jacob question, you know, I know he's been with me in my past. I do see evidence of that, but will he ever speak to me again? Will the God that I encountered so powerfully, you know, that changed my life, but then I carried on, and when we got to Shechem, terrible things happened. Bad things still happened after I'd had this life-altering connection with God. Will he ever, will I encounter him again? Will he still walk with me? And when he does, when God speaks to Jacob again, and he says to him, go to Bethel, settle, build, worship me, Jacob's response is wholehearted. There is nothing as wonderful as a fresh encounter with God. And without hesitating, Jacob gets his whole family together and he says, guys, get ready. We are going to worship God. And that is exactly what they do. They collect all their idols. They take off their pagan jewelry and they bury it all under an oak tree. And I find this part really cool. Jacob tells them, get rid of your foreign gods, purify yourselves, change your clothes. Take off, cleanse, put on. I don't know if it's intentional, if it's intentional or not, but 
I love how it's laid out in scripture. The first step is to get rid of your idols. Guys, what are the things that you hold on to to give you security, to bring you comfort? You know, as humans, we have this terrible tendency of turning to so many things before we look to God. And we trust in lesser things because somehow we decide it's easier than trusting in God. And so, you know, when we're trusting in something more than we're trusting in God, then those things are idols in our lives. And we need to make sure that we are surrendering to him above all else. And then Jacob says to them, purify yourselves. God's presence should be taken seriously. When we prepare our hearts and we can prepare our minds as we step into the presence of our great king. The Bible is full of things that tell us that. Come with, to God with clean hearts and with clean hands. There's something of a acknowledging whose presence we're stepping into and preparing ourselves to meet our wonderful king. And the next step is change your clothes. Now that they're purified, Jacob tells them, put on what is holy, put on what is clean. Get dressed in the clothes of God's kingdom. That's the invitation to us today. There's this beautiful invitation to put on royal robes as we step into the presence of our king. Robes that God has paid for with the blood of his son as we come into the presence of this wonderful, wonderful God. And the people do it. They don't argue. They don't wonder if they should keep a backup idol or two just in case. They take it off and they come to God. And I love how symbolically they kind of, they, they, they come new to God. They physically take off their jewelry and they bury it, but symbolically it's like they're taking off the old stuff and they head out towards Bethel. And what happens next is really surprising. The people around them are terrified. It's like they recognize something of the power of God and the power of his presence. And it stops them in their tracks. Verse 5 says this, The terror of God fell on the towns all around them, so no one pursued them. The people in these towns didn't worship God. But something of the awareness of his presence terrifies them. God's presence is wonderful, but it is holy. And it is powerful, and we should never take it lightly. And God says, Jacob, I'm here right now. I'm with you here and now, and I want to talk to you today, and I've got direction for you today. Whatever situation you're going through, God is facing it with you. He is with you today. He's in the season that you are in, and he cares about the details of your life. And I love this part here where God tells Jacob, I want you to go and build an altar to me. I want you to build a place where you can worship me. And I think there's such a mercy of God in this because Jacob does it. As soon as he gets to Bethel, he builds this altar and he, he pours oil over it and he anoints it. But 
every single time that Jacob walks past that altar, every single time there's a little child that runs past and points at it or asks about it, Jacob is going to be reminded. He is going to know God is with me here. And then God doesn't just engage with Jacob. He changes his name. He renames him. He says, I'm going to call you Israel from now on. Jacob means the one who grasps and grabs. Israel is the one who wrestles with God and God prevails. And he says to him, hey, every time I say your name, I'm going to remind you that I've got you. You don't have to grab anymore because I am carrying you. Earlier on, I mentioned my disastrous inability to navigate. And I must be honest, Google Maps rocks my world. Does anybody else here love Google Maps? I love Google Maps. <laughs> you know what? There are often signs along the way. But knowing me, it'll be like it was written there 50 years ago on the side of the road and now it's worn off. Or maybe it's nice and big up on a signpost, but by the time I get close enough to see which lane I'm meant to be in, traffic's kind of pushed me into this lane and I'm trying to turn off onto that lane. Signs are great. And so often that is what we're begging God for. Give us a sign. But God gives us something so much better than a sign. He comes himself, and he says, I will be your God. Let me guide you. You see, the problem with signs is they can be misinterpreted. Maps can be misread. GPS can glitch. Guys, GPS tells you that Vessel's house is in Longabon. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> God comes, and he says, I will be your guide. And he gives himself to us. And let me tell you, a living companion as a real guide is the best option we could ever hope for. A guide is someone who knows the route inside out, who's familiar with the terrain. They know how the weather affects with which path you should take. A guide keeps us company as we travel. A guide keeps us safe. And they make memories with us as we travel. As God's children, we have a guide who invites us to know him and be fully known by him. We have a guide who says to us, I will come myself and be your guide, but I want to be more than that to you. I want you to call me friend. Guys, God is with you. And he is interested in the details of your right now lives. And God will be with you. Ugh, the, the future is such a big question mark, isn't it? There isn't any way to predict exactly what's going to happen. And Jacob was in exactly the same boat that we're in today. He had no idea what the future would look like. He didn't know at this point in his life that his dearly, dearly loved son, Joseph, was going to be ripped away from him. He didn't know that he was going to enter the deepest season of grief that a father can ever experience. 
Jacob didn't know that a terrible drought was coming, a drought so savage that it was going to annihilate the land and that it was going to put his entire family at risk, their lives at stake. He doesn't know that he is going to be miraculously reunited with his son Joseph in Egypt, the son that he believed was dead and that he grieved for years and years. Jacob has no idea that one day he and his family will move to Egypt and that he will even get to meet Joseph's sons there and that he'll be able to bless them with his own words and with his own hands. Jacob has no idea what's coming and neither do we. I want us to dive back into our passage and hear what it is that God says to Jacob. From verse 11, he says, And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Man, guys, how good is this? I am God Almighty. That's a drop the mic moment right there. I don't know what the future holds for you. I don't know what it holds for me or for my children. But you know what God says about it? I am God Almighty. And that's enough. And then God tells Jacob, carry on with your life. Live it well for me. Be fruitful. Raise your family. Love your grandkids. I've got your needs in hand. I will be with your children I will be with your children's children and I will take care of them. I am the God who will be with you. Many years from now, at the very end of Jacob's life, his son Joseph will go into his father's tent. They're all living in Egypt now and so much has happened that if we were to tell Jacob that now, he would never believe us. But it has come about. It has unfolded as it was meant to in God's plan. And in his last few days on earth, Joseph goes into his father's tent and he takes his own two sons with him, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Jacob blesses Joseph and then he calls his grandsons to him and he blesses them too. And I'd love to read to you from Genesis 48 what it is that happens. So this is Jacob speaking, and he's speaking to Joseph, and he says, Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Now Reuben and Simeon are his eldest sons, his, his two firstborn sons. And he's saying, your children, my grandsons, are going to be reckoned as my sons. And then if we jump to verse 15, and then he, Jacob, blessed Joseph and said, 
May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And may they increase greatly on the earth. Guys, this is adoption language. Jacob is saying, your boys are my sons now. And this is absolutely incredible. Ephraim and Manasseh, through this, they become part of the tribes of Israel. Your children will be my children. And then Jacob reminds Joseph that Egypt is not going to be their home forever. God will lead them back to the promised land. And we know what is going to happen in their future because we look back on it. But they will get comfortable in Egypt and they will end up spending another 400 years there. But God will lead them on to the land that he has promised them. And it won't be easy, but God will be with them every step of the way. And in verse 21, Jacob says, I am about to die, but God will be with you. Don't we need to hear that today? Maybe there's some of you who are really here today needing to know that whatever the future holds, God will be with you. Maybe there's some of you here today who needing to hear that your children are God's children. Whatever your fears are for the future, whatever concerns you may have, whatever it is you're anticipating and excited about, we can rest in this. God will meet us there. He will be with us in every tomorrow. And friends, we have so much more than Jacob did. Bren spoke about it earlier. We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit as our very present God with us all the time. I love what Jesus says to his disciples just before um, he leaves them. In Matthew 28 verse 20, he says, and be sure of this. This is one thing I want you to remember, guys. Be sure of this. I am with you always to the end of the age. Just like the Israelites, our current home is also a temporary one. God will be with us here. We can, have, we can be absolutely assured of that. But he will also lead us on to our forever home, to the one that our hearts were made for. And we should live here with that in mind. Paul Tripp writes about eavesdropping on eternity. Isn't that beautiful? We should live eavesdropping on eternity. I love that right from the very first book of the Bible, right from Genesis, God proclaims, I will be with you. And it's like as he creates his world, he whispers over it, I will be with you. And it lands over his creation and it lands in the hearts and lives of every one of his children. And he keeps on saying that. He keeps on declaring it all through Scripture, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, through Jesus' life. I am with you. 
and he will keep on saying it from one generation to the next through wars and droughts and fires and still sweet waters and wonderful, incredible discoveries. God declares again and again from one generation to the next, I am with you. Can I maybe ask the band to come up? The little band. <laughs> you guys were so beautiful this morning. Thank you for leading worship so wonderfully. We're looking forward to more. There's the song we used to sing in church when I was a little girl, and it went like this. In the presence of the Lord, there is hope. In the presence of the Lord, there is peace. In the presence of the Lord, there is healing. Lord, I stand in your presence with my life. That last line matters. Lord, I stand in your presence with my life. You see, even when someone is present with us, Someone can be present with us, they can be listening to us, they can be engaging with us, they can be loving us. We can be not present with them. And it's the same with God. Through Jacob's life, we see that God has been with us, that God is with us, that God will always be with us. He is the God who was and is and is to come. But we still need to choose if we will be present to him. And that's what we're going to be looking at in our new series. I'm so excited about it. I really am. So this coming Sunday, Terry Virgo is coming. Bryn spoke about it. Please be here. It is going to be such an incredible time together with this wonderful man. And after that, we are going to be spending five weeks looking at what it means for us to be with God how we can put into practice being truly present to our very present God. And I'm so excited. There's so much that I need to learn about how to be more aware of the God who is with me, how to be more present to the God who has never left me and never will. Living engaged with God is going to change us. And it stretches so much further than us. You see, there is a world of people who don't know that God is with them. And God tells us to join him in his mission to heal the world. And he says to us, tell them, go and tell them that I am with them. Because my presence, there is hope spreading in every direction over the earth. Because of my presence, they can rest in the assurance that the future can be faced with peace and joy. Because of my presence, they can anticipate so much more than they could ever dream was coming. God blows hope wide open and he spreads it all over the world. And then he invites us to come alongside him and to love the people who don't know yet that he is right there next to him. He is with them at their side. He is their friend and their guide. 
and we get to join him on mission to tell the world about the hope that his presence brings. Friends, God is speaking over you today. I am with you. Come and know me in all my fullness.